training for mission effectiveness. So let's just, we'll just think a little bit together. I know you, we have people here from many different parts of the world, many different um, areas of expertise, many different responsibilities. So I hope that as we go through this, you will think about it from your own perspective, and hopefully we'll have a few minutes at the end to kind of talk about it from where you're coming from, from the kind of work that you do, the kind of things you'd like to see come out of missionary training. The Institute of World Mission, as was said on the video, which, by the way, was done a couple years ago when we celebrated our 45th anniversary, has been training missionaries since 1966. And for you that are younger, no, I wasn't there the first time. I'm just <laughs> come later, although I look like I could be, right? Um, but in those 50 years, we probably have made every mistake possible to be made, but we've also learned some lessons. And so based upon some of the lessons that we've learned, by the way, that's the picture of the first group of missionaries. There may actually be people there. Some of you old enough to know some of those people. I don't know. Uh, Sidney Beersall, Steve Young, William Jensen. I don't know if any of you have met them, but some of them I remember as a kid. You're too young, yes. <laughs> um, there are basically five lessons that I would like to draw out of our learning that I think might be able to be used in any setting in which we are trying to build a missionary team and train people to be part of that team. We need to focus on five things. First of all, we need to find our foundation. Make sure that we know upon which model, which uh, foundation we are trying to build a training. Secondly, we need to objectify our outcomes. So often we kind of think we know what we want to do, but we don't actually write it down, we don't actually specify it, we don't actually know what we want out of the training that we're doing. Thirdly, we need to create a curriculum. And when I'm talking about a curriculum, I'm talking about something that's much bigger than just what content we're going to share. I'm thinking about the entire um, situation and environment we, we create for learning about mission. We need to understand the task deeply, and that's going to involve, most of all, understanding the people that we're dealing with. And lastly, we need to seek for transformation. We need to teach for transformation. It isn't enough just to share information. Now, all of you serve in mission in some way. Has mission transformed you? Yes, it does, doesn't it? It changes us. And it changes us in good ways, and it can also change us in bad ways. Have you ever met a mean and nasty missionary? Don't tell me. No. <laughs> Have you ever met somebody that you wonder um, how they got to the mission field? They brought all their old emotional baggage with them. By the way, I always say emotional baggage is one thing, kind of baggage that never gets lost on an airplane. We take it with it. And you know, the first person you meet when you get to the mission field is yourself. The first person you meet. So what kind of people we are. We want to be transformed people. And so our training needs to seek transformation. Now, what is missionary training? 
one of the issues about missionary training is some things are called training, some things are called mission, mission training, and may, but they may or may not actually be training for the kind of training that you and I want to do. And so this is part of finding our foundation. I, and I think this basically goes back to the idea of who is a missionary. Um, you know, um, Ellen White tells us that every disciple of Christ is born a missionary. But the problem is when everybody's a missionary, then nobody's a missionary. Right? It's kind of like, how do, you, how do you define it? How do you train for it if everything is, everything is mission, everybody's a missionary? So I think we have to do a little distinguishing between the kind of calls to mission that, I, that we see in the Bible. And the first call is to be a disciple. This is a call for the entire world. Um, th this is a call on all people everywhere to become Christ's disciples, to be growing in Christ. Come and follow me, Jesus said. Sometimes, however, mission training just focuses on that. I was talking on Sabbath with uh, a person in my Sabbath school class about because the Sabbath school lesson was about discipling for mission uh, for the world. And, um, and she's saying, oh, but going on mission trips is so helpful to the, these kids. It changes their, their perspective. It changes so much about them. And you know, we just, well, this is true, maybe. But if all we're doing in training for mission is how, what can you get out of it? How can I get more out of my mission experience? And we're short-circuiting our task, aren't we? That's, that, that's important that we are disciples, that we're growing as disciples, that we're learning from our mission experience, but that is not the major focus of mission training, in my view. The second call is to be a witness. Jesus asks all his disciples to witness for him, to become fishers of men, as he says. And that, but that is true wherever you live. If you're a disciple, then you need to be a witness. And too often I hear about things that are called mission training that basically are teaching people how to give Bible studies and how to hold evangelistic meetings. Not a bad thing to do, but that it's often done in the same way for any part of the world. In fact, I, I heard one of my relatives went on with a group that goes out and gives, short, uh, gives evangelistic meetings. And he was told, we don't want you to be out in, out in the community during the day. We want you to be in your hotel room studying your sermon for that night. Now, maybe he needed the study. You know, I'm not suggesting that isn't important. But is that really mission? Just going and studying what you have to say and not mingling with the people, not actually being out and becoming part of the community? That's, again, a short-circuiting, not looking at witnessing only from what I have to say instead of from what do they need to hear. In order to know what they need to hear, we need to go out and be there. So while it's important to know how to witness, that kind of mission training is a, a, a small part of the whole, in my view. And the last call is to witness across cultures. And we, Jesus' command to go and make disciples of all nations. And I think to do that is, is a much broader picture of what mission training is. And so for us at the Institute of World Mission, this is where we have focused. We are, we are not trying to make just make people better disciples, although we hope they are. We're not just trying to teach people how to share the story that God has given them. We're trying to teach them how to help 
and empower other people to become disciples. Other people in other places to understand the gospel in their context, to live out Jesus' life in their context. And that requires understanding the whole cross-cultural issues involved in discipling and witnessing. And so that is our foundation. And here's what, how we articulate it. And, and each of you, as you think about the kind of training you are needing to do for your group or you, you want to be a part of, Think about what area, what is the foundation upon which you want to build that training. In anticipation of Jesus' soon return, our purpose is to cultivate mission vision. That would be a vision for the world mission, mission vision. Prepare cross-cultural workers. We're not just trying to prepare people to go and live in the next state or the next county. We're trying to prepare people who can go across the great divides in the world and nurture that missionary witness so that they are witnessing as missionaries. They are witnessing out of their own sense of mission. Why? For effective service in God's harvest. Because mission, after all, is God's project. It's not mine, and it's not yours. God, the great missionary God, came down from heaven into the Garden of Eden and said, where are you? He was the first to reach out to us. And ever since then, he has been telling his people, go and reach out. Reach out to others. Cross every barrier for me. And so when we join him in that mission, we are joining in his great missionary project. We're joining him at work in the world. Okay, the second thing there is after we find our foundation is we need to objectify our outcomes. What do we really want out of this training? Do we just want people, you know, to be able to know how to change money and eat the food in a new place? Is that what we're about? No, it's much deeper than that, isn't it? And we have, we have given five basic categories for our training. First of all, we believe that missionaries need to be people who are growing spiritually. Unless we are deep spiritual people, then we have little or nothing to share. And, and that growing spiritually means that you can grow spiritually in another setting where maybe you don't understand the language when you go to church. Maybe you don't have people around you who believe like you do. Uh, my son and uh, daughter-in-law just in July, had, they've spent five years in, in uh, Kenya as missionaries and in July they moved to Egypt. They now live on a school campus where 80% of the students are not, not Adventist. They're dealing with things they've never experienced before in their life. One thing is you just have to get used to all those mosques calling for prayer. There's about seven or eight that you can hear every, and they don't, by the way, what I discovered, they don't have uh, uh, time, uh, clocks. I, we were there, they, don't, they haven't set their clocks with each other. So it's kind of a continuous thing, just depending on, I guess, when the Muzian decides to get up and sing. But, you know, just getting used to a, a totally non-Christian environment is challenging. Where, do you, where are you filled spiritually? How can you be filled spiritually in that environment? But yet, missionaries need to be people that grow spiritually. They need to be people who think biblically 
so that whatever decisions we make, however we approach things, we approach it from a biblical perspective. We approach it from God's word. We can talk about um, what we do and how we share based upon not our own cultural traditions, not our own family ways of doing things, but upon God's word. Thirdly, and those two are what we consider cultivating mission vision. Doing it from biblical perspective and, do, and growing in, as Christ followers. Then we, we uh, the third one is to be reasoning missiologically. That's a, one of those jargon words. Missiology is the study of mission. It's the discipline of mission. And it involves uh, theology, and it involves anthropology, and it involves the social sciences. Looking at the culture, the worldview, the way people think and do and act, how we communicate across cultures, how we witness across cultures. These are things that we need to look at deeply in order to prepare cross-cultural workers. Fourthly, we need to live holistically. That means as whole beings, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. How do you do that when you're being squeezed by the culture? Do any of you know what I mean when I say squeezed by the culture? <laughs> I remember the day in which it, I had just had it up to here with hand, shaking hands. Now, you know, in the US, you shake hands once, maybe, when you first meet a person. And then the rest of the day, you surely don't have to shake hands again. Um, but that's, and, and you don't even have to shake hands with everybody. But that isn't the case in Malawi. In Malawi, you shake hands with everybody every time you meet them. I remember I, <laughs> in the afternoon, I always like to go for my little afternoon walk, you know, and I go for my walk. I never got my heart rate up because I have to keep stopping and shaking people's hands. Hello, how are you? Where have you been? How what are you doing? Where, you know, where are you going? And I'll answer all the questions. I got my blood pressure up, but not my heart rate. <laughs> you know, so, you, you know, uh, just small things can begin to really squeeze you as a person. And every, every one of us has different stressors and strains, different places in which we, are, uh, we, we respond to the culture, either for good or for bad. So living, holistic, living holistically as families. Some people adjust and adapt quite readily to living without electricity. Other people struggle, right? And some days you struggle more than other days about it. Um, you know, so we, we all have our, our, our place, living holistically. My, my children in Egypt are having trouble with, right now with being healthy because of the terrible air quality. There's not, not just the, the terrible dust, which has always been there from the, from the desert, from the Sahara, but the smog, totally, total air pollution. So the little one is now developing asthma. What do you do? The dust is coming in the house. There's no way to keep it out. Terrible air quality. Hard to live holistically. How do you do? Live healthfully. And then lastly, serving incarnationally. That is serving as Jesus served. We're told in Desire of Ages that Jesus mingled with people. He went as one who sought to do them good. 
right? You know the quotation, and then he bade them follow him. So how do we go as someone who seeks to do them good, to mingle with them, to become part enough of, of the culture in which we can actually reveal Christ's love to them? And this is where we would say we are nurturing missionary witness. This is deeper than just adjusting physically to the, to the externals of the culture. Most of us can do that quite easily. Um, a few years ago, I began um, going every year to do some training in Korea. Have any of you ever tried eating with Korean chopsticks? You know, chopsticks, the ones I was familiar with, are kind of long and wooden like this. Korean ones are short and metal. Nothing sticks to them. So most of the time when I'm eating, it's all down my, whoops, down my front, you know? And, and they, they, they've just learned after the meals, they come with a cloth and wipe me up <laughs> before I have to stand up again. You know, you become a child again as you enter another culture. You, you don't know how to act, how to learn, how to grow. And so some of us find that process a little easier than others. And so emotionally, we can respond in different ways. And we need to nurture our witness because it is how we respond from our depths that make a difference. Okay, just to give you an example of outcomes here, here's a, a day sheet that we prepare for every single day of our training for the staff. This is for our faculty. And you'll see there the activity. We begin the first day of Get Acquainted. We have an outcome for every single activity that we do. We want to know what we're trying to do with that activity. It's not enough just to say, oh, let's get acquainted. Okay? Why are you getting acquainted? And how are you getting acquainted? Why are you doing it the way you do it? Thinking deeply about the process makes a difference. So writing down the outcomes you expect. So we have get acquainted, recognize God's leading in bringing this group together and, in, and introduce the participants and the staff. And we have our name tags as a supply and then which staff are going to do that and we do it all together uh, at the same time. One of the interesting things with training, maybe you have faced this also, those of you who are in leadership positions, is that your trainers change all the time. Do you have that problem? Those of you who are setting up mission, any, by the way, anybody here who actually does training, missionary training? Okay, oh, a lot of you. Do you work with different people all the time or is it pretty consistent? Different people, okay, that's, that's kind of the way it is for us right now. Our team has been changing quite a bit over the last few years and so we've added a, something to our day sheets and that are the little footnotes at the bottom where we actually spell out what we do. You know, this is kind of like, uh, you know, teaching 101, you know. So we, uh, to get acquainted, we ask the wife to introduce the family. She's to give the names, tell where they're coming from and where they're going to. Okay, so that's, we've actually spelled out what we want done. And I would suggest to you that as you do training, to begin building up this body of, 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 organ, of literature on how you do it will help those who come after you. Because one of the problems we've had in this church when it comes to cross-cultural training is we have very little institutional memory. I don't know how many of you, when you came into your training program, were actually handed a syllabus or, or a curriculum and said, this is the way it's done here. Any of you have that privilege? No. Nothing to build on, did you? You just had to reinvent the wheel all over again. 
And that's unfortunately what we've been doing to, for a very long time. And so we're trying now to get this down on paper. It doesn't have to be done exactly like this. It can be done in many different ways. But let's share our, how we do it. Let's start writing it down and start building up a body of missionary training literature where we actually have some different ways that people can look at and choose from as they begin to plan their own training programs. But anyway, the point of that was make sure you know what you want out of what you do. Don't just aim in the dark. Find, find, build an outcomes, objectify your outcomes. Okay, thirdly, we need to create curriculum. And as I said before, curriculum is much bigger than just the content of what we want to deliver in our tra training. Um, we started some years ago to, to, to change the, the, the environment of our training. We, instead of putting people in rows like this to listen to a lecture, we sit them in, in uh, tables. We tell them right at the beginning, the first morning, we help them get acquainted with each other, and we tell them this afternoon when you come back, we want you to sit with people who are from a different country than you're from, who are going to a different place than you're going to, who are from a different profession than you are, who, who speak a, a different language, hopefully, who have different number of years of, of cross-cultural experience, so that they're very diverse at every table. Because one of the goals here is that one of our curriculum goals, our wider curriculum goals, is that people will learn to love each other across cultural barriers during the training. Isn't that what we're trying to ask them to do when they go out? We want them to do it out there. How are we going to train them to do it out there if we're not training them to do it in here? This is a, this is a, a place where we actually have control over. And so we can begin to set the norm there. And then we begin asking them to share with each other. And you start simply, and you become more, uh, more complex, deep, as, as it goes on. Uh, so the training is very much dialogic, very much uh, give and a take. And we hope that they will learn as much from each other as they learn from us. Because every single person who has been called by God to come, be, go as a missionary comes with a lifetime of experience. They come with many things that God has taught them. They, they come with, uh, with a, a fire and a passion that needs to become part of the training event. And it is only as people become comfortable that they reveal who they really are. None of us would admit to being ethnocentric, would we? I'm sorry, I'm Cheryl and I'm ethnocentric. You know, I'm not, we're not going to do that. But when you start setting tasks and people begin talking together, they begin recognizing their ethnocentrisms. Other people begin recognizing it and feeding, them back, feeding it back to them. So we can really only learn in community. And so we are here trying to set up an environment in which we form a community, a learning community where people can reveal who they really are and see reflected in someone else's eyes how they, are, how they truly are acting, how they're behaving. All right, so not only is the classroom important, but the social events are extremely important. How they're structured and what you do in them 
uh, it becomes part of the entire learning environment. For example, um, we used to start at 8 o'clock in the morning. We had an hour, and a half, hour for lunch, and then we came back and ended at 4 in the afternoon. This is very, very difficult for mothers with small children. Very difficult. To get them there at 8 o'clock in the morning, especially when they're jet lagged, is hard. I actually argued for 9, but we settled on 8.30. And, and then we decided we would have a long lunch break. So we have a two and a half hour lunch break. Now mom can put the kids down for a nap. Now dad or mom can have a nap in their room instead of the classroom, right? <laughs> and people who study better during the day can study in the middle of the day. There's time for parents and children to do. So the, the structure of the program, we now have our welcome party instead of on the first night, we have it on the second night. Why? People need to settle in, you're right. When people get there, they have to settle in. The first night, everybody's still putting clothes away and trying to figure out how this place works. And so they're more relaxed the second night. Uh, so thinking about how we do it, we, we even have outcomes for our social events. So the outcome for our welcome party is that people will uh, learn more about each other and will learn each other's names. And so we have games. The games we play are specifically geared to that end. People come and have fun. They don't know that we have it down on an outcome list, but it works. They come and have fun, and by the end of the welcome party, pretty much they know each other's names. One thing we've added in recent uh, years is a psychologist. Missionaries carry burdens. Remember I mentioned the baggage, the emotional baggage. We all have it. We all have it. It's like we all carry around a backpack on our back, and when we have a hurt, a broken relationship, it's we put a stone in that backpack. And every so often, we need to take those stones out, review them before God. And often, it's best done in community. It's best done with someone else. And so we have a missionary psychologist who is also um, has a, a doctor of ministry. She's a certified traumatologist. She herself lost her husband and was killed in the mission field. Very much aware of what missionaries go through. She comes and meets with every missionary during Mission Institute. They can talk to her about as much or as little as they wish. The time is very short. And one of the reasons we ask her to meet with every missionary is not so much for right there during Mission Institute, but it's for the future. Missionaries as a group have much higher rates of trauma than people in their home country. They are outliers in the community, outsiders, they're targets often for crime, and, and illness can be an issue, trauma, traumatic illness. One study done in Zambia a few years ago in the uh, Church of Christ, missionaries found that that cohort of missionaries, 94% of them had had a traumatic event in the previous year. Trauma identified as either being the target of crime, a serious illness of oneself or a loved one, or a, a, a target of a environmental problem, you know, a, a fire or, or a serious, serious accident or some other type of thing. 94% in the previous year. 
And that's huge. And I think uh, we need to provide for missionaries someone who, they, who can walk them through it or can help their um, families to know how to walk them through these various issues. So Dr. Ann Hamill, there on the left, has started joining as a part of our team. All right, here's the first, um, first week schedule of a mission institute. Um, this is what the missionaries receive. And I want, I want to point out just a couple things to you. One is you see down there at the bottom, we have our objectives stated up front. The, every class, every content, uh, everything we do, we try to incorporate as many of those five objectives in them as possible. If we're talking about um, cross-cultural conflict, we're going to start with the, Bib with the Bible. We're going to look at the Bible first. If we're talking uh, about um, if we're talking about culture shock, we're going to talk about growing spiritually. How do we grow spiritually through the culture shock that we have, and so on? So we're trying to incorporate within each of the trainings uh, events those things. Uh, one of the one of the things we also do is our worships are set to try to help. They're part of the curriculum to try to help reinforce. The, uh, the curriculum for that day. So you'll see on the first Friday we go on a field trip in which we go out to study a community. By the way, by the end of the first week, everybody needs to get, get up and go do something. I'm tired of sitting. So that's why we've got it scheduled there. And um, the worship that day is what we call God's mosaic, where we actually look at cultural differences in, in a way that we, we hope will help see how God does it. And we have also the first Sabbath, a prayer retreat one of the things we feel very strongly is that mission needs to be bathed in prayer. Without prayer, we are helpless. And so we spend the morning praying together. And I was happy to see on your schedule here that you have time for prayer every morning. It's a very important part of mission. OK, another part of creating a curriculum is to, deal, to make sure that we're caring for every member of the family. We do some things, parents and children together, and here's a picture of the children coming into the adult classroom. And I'm transplanting a plant to illustrate what transition is like. The children are repotting it in their pots, and they will care for the plant. Then they will go and build a little transition bridge to help them understand what happens when missionaries move from one place to another. What are the steps that you take? as you leave and enter another culture. And the adults will apply it in their way so that hopefully parents and children can talk together about the process that they're going through. Having a children's program has, I can't tell you how much it has helped our training. It's made a huge difference. And I want to encourage those of you who are doing missionary training, don't forget the children. We don't talk about missionaries' children as though they're somebody's possession. They're missionary children. And God doesn't call just one member of a family to mission. He calls every member of a family. And we, we need to prepare the children as well as the parents for the service to which God has called them. All right, understanding the task. Here's a picture of the Mission Institute group from Thailand last year. The first thing in understanding the task is to understand who are your participants? Who? 
are you actually dealing with? Well, just here's a little bit from this group. There were 64 adults, six were single, 29 married couples. They were young, aged young adults to grandparents. Some of them had, some of the grandparents had children older than the, some of the young missionaries. 31 children, ages 2 to 20, from 18 countries on six continents, serving in 28 countries, many professions, physicians, teachers, ADRA workers, and you see a long list up there, and it's probably some I left out. Varying levels of cross-culture experience. We had some people who hadn't yet gotten to the mission field. They were on their way, had their bags packed, headed there. Uh, we had one physician and his family who'd been out for 30 years already in all the range in between. One thing they share in common, they've already accepted an assignment. And this may be different for some of you doing training. Some of you may be doing training of people who are hoping to go. They don't quite know where yet. Uh, and that would be a different kind of training. But this group has already accepted their assignment. They know where they're going to go. They've already, they can begin to prepare their minds and hearts for that place. So how do you train a group as diverse as this? Right? Now, I don't know how many of you have groups this diverse, but I suspect that most of you have on your team quite a bit of diversity, because that's what the Adventist church is. We work together across a great, great amount of diversity. So, first of all, we have to understand ourselves. And I think this is key for any of us who want to do missionary training. We need to know who we are. Here's our current team <clears throat> this year, five of us. We have to ask this question. As a trainer, have we walked in their shoes? Let me tell you, it is very hard to do missionary training if you've never been a missionary. And there are people who are trying to do that. But you do not have much credibility if you haven't walked in their shoes. Very important that we show that we have the credibility to speak. Are we experts in our profession? Our profession is teaching and teaching mission. Okay, so the broad spectrum of expertise that's needed we need not only to be, have teaching gifts, but we also need to have the deep level knowledge that can, can make those gifts valuable to people. We try to make it as simple as possible. Say it, but you know, you have to know it really well to be really simple. Have you ever tried to write a sermon that you didn't know much about? It's pretty complex, wasn't it? If you haven't thought deeply about something, if you haven't studied it, if you haven't read the literature, it's hard to make it simple. So we have to be experts. What resources do we bring? One of the things we look at, and that kind of goes with the, whoops, no, I left one out here. Um, for us as a team is one of the resources we have to bring is a great diversity between us. We all have to come from different places. So we have, we have a South African, we have a Kenyan, we have a Brazilian, we have a Norwegian, and we have an American. Very important. We represent the diversity of the church. We have an ADRA person, we have a medical person, we have, in fact, a couple medical people. We have uh, an artist, we have a person who's an expert in Muslim relations, who's a missiologist, taught missiology, and so on. Very important that we come with different resources. 
We have to identify those resources and build our training based upon the resources we have. Too often we try to build training without having the resources. We try to talk about things we don't know about. We, uh, and sometimes the Lord can cover up for that. Sometimes, but if we don't have the resources, we need to find somebody that does and bring them in to help us. Can we build relationships quickly? Learning is best done in relationship. I can guarantee you that if an hour after I finished speaking, I was to ask you what I talked about, I wouldn't get a very detailed answer from you, right? How can you learn this stuff the way I'm delivering it? Just talking so fast and I haven't built a relationship with you. But if I did build a relationship with you and if we did spend time talking together deeply, you would learn a whole lot more and I would learn from you also. So the ability to have a, a, a personal relationship with the people we're trying to teach is very important. It's much easier if the group is small than if you've got 64. But it's important that you know how to do it. And this is a very important one. Are we living what we teach? If we're talking about handling, doing cross-cultural conflict well, then, well, how am I handling conflict with my team? And believe me, we have some, okay? If we're talking, if we're talking about um, witnessing, am I a person who witnesses? If we're talking about how we can be growing spiritually or spiritual people, am I living that? Am I a growing, am I a growing disciple? Missionaries are very good at spotting phonies. Very good. And so the question that we must continually ask ourselves is, am I living what I'm teaching? And then lastly, I, I said this in this kind of offhand way, do we really care? But I, I want to, this maybe I should have said more is, what are we passionate about? Do we really care for people? Do we really care that missionaries are well-trained? Are we passionate about what we do? Do we care for each other? Are we willing to put the energy in because we really want this to be good? How much do we care? So we have to understand and ask those questions of ourselves. Lastly, seek transformation. I want, I want to suggest that it has made a huge difference in our training since we have started using an adult education model where we treat adults as though they're adults, not as though we know every answer to every question. We become learners along with them. We try to create a learning community where they share. So when we talk about health and we have six physicians in the group, what am I going to stand up and talk about? Right? I'm going to ask them to share out of their expertise about missionary health. I'm going to focus it. I'm going to help them make sure they stay on track for the wider good. But they will share out of their expertise. When we talk about culture shock, we have people there who have been through it, done, been there, done that, lived, survived, died, whatever. Let them talk and tell us. <laughs> how, did they, how did they do it? What happened what, as they went through it? Share their experiences. Very important to create a learning community. And this means we provide safety with destabilization. It should, the learning community, the, the, commu the environment of learning should be absolutely safe. 
No question is a dumb question if it's asked with an honest heart. Nobody needs to feel put down or, or scared about what they say. They, it's very safe. However, too much safety puts people to sleep and you don't learn anything. You only learn education by definition is destabilizing of what you already know. So some destabilizing is essential here. How you do it needs to be very carefully done when you do it and at what point you destabilize which person. Okay, so this is why you really have to get to know them. We had a, a couple times ago, we had three couples sitting at a table. And the th very quiet, submissive wives and three papa bears. I mean, these were papa bears. Okay, three of them. I was so glad that they were together at a table. One was from Africa, one was from Eastern Europe, I guess, and one was from the U.S. And, when, and it, that table, now with a table like that, it was very interesting to watch as we created stability, those quiet, shy little wives began to speak. They began to share what they, had to th what they were thinking. They even got so um, comfortable that after a while, they were actually uh, pointing out certain Papa Bear activities that were going on that probably shouldn't have been. You know, the, two, the three men got comfortable and um, I could actually go up to that table and I could say to him, do I hear a little ethnocentrism going on here? And they'd laugh. I could say that to the Papa Bears, I couldn't say that to the, the quiet women. I would have hurt their feelings. So knowing when to destabilize, create, creating simulations. We, we play a culture game in which we simulate the, the witnessing between cultures. People get the message without actually telling them. We have to model the attitude of a learner. I believe that the one, number one most important skill for missionaries is to learn how to learn. If you know how to learn, you can, you, 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 there's hope for you when you get out there. But if you already know it all, there is no hope for you. Okay? So gaining the skill of a learner is so important. And we have to model that learning. I think I learn more during missionary training than the missionaries do sometimes. We teach as a team, and I learn a lot from my team. And the more voices you have saying the same thing, the more powerful it becomes. And it comes from different perspectives and out of different experiences. And our goal is to empower learners rather than to show our expertise. Okay, you know, hey, I went to school. I got a degree. I studied this stuff. I read all the books and the magazines. That doesn't really help them, does it? <laughs> when they get out there and they're having a cross-cultural conflict, are they going to remember what I said? Or are they just going to act out of who they are? So my goal here is that I empower them to become the kind of people that can act out of who they are in a, in a good way. Set high standards for your participants and the teachers. Just because this is not something that's going to get you a degree doesn't mean that it just, we just can blow it off. 
We need to set very high standards for what we do. We need, we, our training must simulate the mission, and I gave an example of how we do that with people actually working on tasks with others who are of different cultures. And we need to teach to all proficiency and age levels. Very important to realize that there will be people, somebody who's going as a farm manager, somebody that's going the, as a dean of a university. All those proficiency levels have to be addressed in some way. And that's where, where setting learning tasks can really help because people can take from them uh, what, what they need. Okay, so I just wanted to give you an example of a learning task here. This is the kind of thing we would do. Do you see Herman sitting there? Okay. I'd like to ask you, what do we need to know, be, or do before we can truly help someone? What's the, what's the problem here? What, what, what's the problem with the person that's trying to help Herman? He hasn't looked, yeah. He hasn't, he hasn't looked at the person. He hasn't understood his task, what his task really is here. He doesn't have a foundation. Well, what is he wanting to do for Herman? He wants to set him free. Does he want an outcome of a free man with no legs? That's not the outcome he wants, right? So he hasn't really objectified his outcomes here at all. He hasn't he hasn't looked at the person. He hasn't really looked into the job. So what, what, if I was, uh, had time, and I'm out of time, so I've got to stop, but I would ask you to turn to your neighbor and two or three to kind of discuss what do we need to know or what do we need to be or do in order to truly be able to help someone learn or change or grow or become a missionary. And... I'd have you talk, and then I'd let you tell me what you'd come up with. And I think it would be a very interesting exercise. Okay, lastly here, some resources that I would like to offer you from, from the Institute is, first of all, our, our basic book is a pass called Passport to Mission. Have any of you ever heard of Passport to Mission? Oh, I'm so relieved. <laughs> I'm glad. There. I wish all of you could know it. It's a primer. It's a basic kind of... Com rather comprehensive, but very easy to read, uh, primer on what it takes to get ready to go and be a missionary, and it's available in five languages. So uh, we have another book that we publish called Growing Through Stress. This was a book uh, written by a doctor who was in a one-doctor hospital in Papua New Guinea for 17 years. That is a recipe for stress. <laughs> Okay, so when she came home from the, from, from the mission field, she's an Australian, she wrote a book on stress from a missionary perspective. And, and it has been um, one of the men who is in the American Stress Management, he was uh, organization, association, I guess it's called, said it's one of the two best books on stress he's ever read because it inclu includes the spiritual aspects. Uh, our online passport to mission class, we have, we are now have about 575 students, some 3,000 have gone through since 2009 when it began. It's a very simple classic that, you know, basically can be downloaded at a cyber cafe, intentionally kept very simple, used by the Adventist Volunteer Service in eight divisions. 
and there's the address if you should happen to be interested in, in taking the online class. Here's the events, and you would be most welcome to attend any of them. We have a Mission Institute in July coming up soon at Andrews University. Next January, we'll be in Thailand for Mission Institute. And probably, we haven't worked out the venue yet, but we think that in April, our next Mission Institute will be in Turkey, probably in Istanbul. Uh, and then in July, again, next year at Andrews. We do about three a year. And you are most welcome to come. Our tuition is extremely cheap for three weeks tuition that includes all your textbooks, field trip, banquet, all the social activities, and all the handouts, what do you think we should charge for that? It's $150. <laughs> you have to pay for your own travel and room and board and that sort of thing, but, but uh, the tuition is very, very cheap. And furthermore, if you would like to get Andrew's credit, we can arrange that at a very, very reduced rate as well. We, we, we offer three credit hours for the three weeks of Mission Institute. And also I should mention that in June we have a reentry program for missionaries who are coming back. And if you want to know if it's worth it or not, talk to Steve. So if you'd like to contact us, there's our address. We are online at iwm.adventistmission.org or you can write to iwm at gc.adventist.org and we'd be happy to share with you any of the materials that we have. And as I said to begin with, I would love to hear from you who are doing training. I'd love to see what you're preparing and what you're, what you're doing that really helps people not just be good disciples, not just be skilled and witnesses, but able to do it cross-culturally in ways that bring people to Christ. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.